0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Lovely to see you. uh, We have a guest speaker this morning as well. We have Barnaby over from the tab. Guess away, Barnaby. There he is. So you can rest assured that you will be getting something right this morning with Barnaby. Um, Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you. I'm on with
0: her. Well, This is Barnaby. So Barnaby, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your mission in Lansing and maybe just a bit about the family as well. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah, married to Tessa, got three children. Um, Tabitha's seven, Lydia's five, and Rufus has just turned three. It's it's sort of birthday season for us. And um, we've been in Lansing for two years. Actually, to be honest, we didn't know about Lansing or something probably about four years ago. So... um, i don 't think I knew they existed <laughs> <laughs> but we 've absolutely loved moving it 's a wonderful place to live and um there 's a great work to do isn 't there so there I, I is, think yeah. that 's one of the things that 's on my heart is that you go and you meet people and you realize that there are twenty two thousand people living in this area yeah. and very very few know the lord jesus so that 's a big that 's a big big thing on on our, on our minds
0: how 's it going at the tab it
1: 's going all right yeah we 're yeah. very thankful and uh, I just think um, uh, church family is precious, and you, you realise that. So I, I feel kind of sad to be away, but I'm really glad to be with you here. And uh, uh, I think the Lord's helped us to feel very loved, and I think that's um, so s- strikingly important. You yeah. can think about all sorts of things in church life, but actually to feel together and united and loved is really, really important. So give thanks for that. Um yeah. if you wanted to pray one thing I think for courage we're doing a little series on the um uh, the book of Daniel and I think we're a church just feel a bit bit frightened sometimes I think they they want me to charge out and go yeah. and um go and reach yeah. 22,000 people <laughs> and I think we we, we feel quite we yeah. we feel quite frightened um uh so pray that the book of Daniel gives us who shared that verse one of the one of the little little ones shared a verse that the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, oh, Daniel, wasn't it? Daniel. but a spirit yeah. of power yeah. and of love and of self-discipline. So you could pray for the spirit to stir up Amen. We will courage do. for us. We will
0: do. Well, let me pray for you. Um, do you want me to read the scripture or are you happy to, to read what you need to do? I'll
1: read. Yeah? Okay. Yep. Let me
0: pray for you. Father, we thank you for our brother Barnaby. Lord, we know that you've been preparing this message for him, Lord, first for thousands, millions of years that you've known exactly what he's going to say to us this morning. You've prepared everything for him this morning. So, Father, just help us to open up our hearts, our minds and our ears to your word, Lord, your truth. I pray that the words that Barnaby speaks now will change the lives of the hearers, Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, it's a great privilege to be with you and to open up God's Word. And we're looking at the book of 1 Timothy. So, if you've got a Bible or a phone, I'd love you to be able to see that. But I believe it may also be up on the screen. I think it'd help you to be able to see it in front of you because it's coming up verse by verse there. And I'm going to want you to look at the scriptures and to work hard this morning. Um, So, if you know how to find 1 Timothy on your phone, then that'd be a really great help to me. Let me read. We're on the same, yeah, we've got the same flavour, I think. Okay. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I I am giving you this command in in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is God's word for us. I hope you can see that. It is a great privilege to be with you. And here's what God's going to say to us, okay, today, that sometimes it's right to fight. <laughs> Let's just get Ian up. I haven't told him about this, but just come up here. Um, and uh, I just want you to have this image in your head, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that just, just just, occasionally in the church, um, when it... When it comes to teaching the Word of God, sometimes it's right <coughs> to fight. I do. do sit now, now <laughs> obviously, obviously not with fists, although there was an occasion when a bunch of monks were so in, um, so uh, uh, upset by the teaching being changed in the church that fist came out um, back in the third century. Okay, obviously not, not in that way, but sometimes, over what's taught in a church, it's right to fight. And uh, verses 1 and 2 show us that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a very young church leader, Timothy. And verse 3 explains, the background if you see in verse 3, that Timothy's been left there, that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. So he is to fight specifically for what this church is teaching, and sometimes God says that's right. Now, you might immediately say, well, that's the last thing that churches need. Isn't this the sort of thing that just puts people off? Doesn't doctrine divide? But verse one, Paul is writing, if you look there, by the command of God. And in verse three, he says, I urge you. So, this is an urgent command from God. It's right to fight. And verse 5 is quite interesting. Okay, So if you're really troubled by this, have a look at verse 5. It says, um, the goal of this is to win an argument. doesn't say that. <laughs> the goal of this is to score points. It's ego. The goal of this is love. Sometimes it's the loving thing. Why is that? Imagine you're a doctor, and uh, you've discovered a cure for cancer. And so... Uh, Know, you've got this tablet that can save millions of lives. Of course, the focus of your surgery is going to be on getting that cure out, isn't it? Now imagine someone else, uh, a, a false doctor, came and joins your surgery in, in something. And uh, they start selling um, you know, they start sort of dishing out these tablets, which let's um, they say they put po- their poison <laughs> Now you're not going to say to that fellow doctor. Well, you know, it's all a matter of interpretation. Or, um, you know, you have your truth, I have mine. Or, uh, you know, we mustn't argue because we need to show the world that we're united. Let's have a doctors together group. (laughs) You would throw them out and you'd try and get them arrested, wouldn't you? Because sometimes it's right to fight. The goal of this is love. And we should do the same when someone teaches in the church that we're not really sinners, or there's no such thing as hell, or that any kind of relationship is fine, or that Jesus isn't the only way, because that is spiritual poison. Imagine instead that a doctor joins your surgery, and uh, uh, they're not poisoning everybody, um, they're just distracting them. So, um, so somebody comes in, they need a cure for cancer, and uh, this doctor says, well no, come, come over here. Just a little bit worried about that that earlobe of yours. Um, or perhaps I could put you on a course for mindfulness. You look a little bit stressed. Uh, oh, I've got some um, great herbal remedy here for for, for that toenail uh, fungi of yours. Um, now, what do you make of that? What do you make of that, doctor? He's helpful, but in fact, he could be just as dangerous as the doctor that's poisoning, because people will come in and out of the surgery and they'll walk away and their deepest need has not been met. And it seems to me that there's something very similar happening in Timothy's church. So verse three there, when it says, um, I command you to teach certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, the word literally means other doctrines. Okay, things not about Jesus and salvation and the gospel. Uh, myths. Paul describes them as things that we don't really know. You know what? What do angels look like? What? What actually specifically happens at the end of uh, uh, in the end times? And uh, the problem is these people were devoted to these and their discussions were endless. There's the person in the Bible study who, who's always bringing up their pet idea. And the leader says, Do "You know, can we, can we just actually look at what God actually says in this passage? But again and again, that idea just gets brought in. The pet idea, endlessly devoted. And the result of this is controversy. People falling out over pointless things. And Paul says... Their teaching is meaningless. It has no power over the most fundamental issues of a person's soul, of knowing God and where they go for all eternity. Well, sadly, we see this sort of distraction. It's not necessarily a false teaching, but it's, a, it's, it's devotion to something else. We see that in the church all the time. And I don't mean to be mean, but I just thought I might just mention a few examples. I was at a wedding a while back and the minister had 10 minutes to talk to about 100 non-Christian people about Jesus. So I thought, okay, I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) Instead, he decided to explain the origins of the song Oranges and lemons have the bells of sand. I wanted to get up and give him a massive slap. (laughs) Another church, um, the reading was Jesus uh, telling the fishermen to, to throw the net over to the other side. Where they'll get a great catch do you know that story now obviously that's about jesus's power and rule over creation that he's god and perhaps there's something there for us about how jesus is in charge of the catch as we think about reaching out it's a wonderful story the preacher instead taught that it was really about how one side of our brain is about logic but we need to sometimes go over to the other side of the brain that's about creativity Meaningless talk. Well, there's the church where they just seem more excited by fair trade and recycling than anything else. Of course, it's not wrong for a church to be concerned about these things, but it's become a distraction as people are dying and going to hell, and many, many churches in the country are just spending their time focused on these things. And everyone's going to go, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well done, you're a good church. Now, you, friends, you can do this while the preacher is referring to the Bible. That's the scary thing. Okay. So, so have a look down at verse 7 there. It talks about in Timothy's church, these guys want to be teachers of the law. So they weren't coming in with the Quran <laughs> or, or you know, teaching Hinduism. That's qu- kind of false teaching that's quite easy to spot, isn't it? And you'd all go, yeah, okay, <laughs> get, get, get out. They weren't doing that. They had their Bibles open. But what does Paul say about them? They did not know what they were talking about. It's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? Now, by the law there, that, that means the Old Testament. And uh, they were using it to speculate and to bring out all sorts of sort of funny little nice little thoughts that distracted the church. But verse 8 says there is a proper use for the law. It's not all just a matter of interpretation. There's just a, there is a proper way of understanding the Bible. <laughs> and that is that the law is good when verse 9, it shows us that we're sinners and we can't fix ourselves and we need Jesus. And verse ten, the glorious Gospel. So the big purpose, the proper use of the Bible is to lead us ever to Jesus. and so if someone's opening the Bible they've always got to be leading us in. sometimes it's right to fight. let me, Let me take us into a second truth from this passage okay that, that just drives us home a little bit more. Um, sometimes it's right to fight because secondly the gospel must remain the focus of the church. verses 12 to 17 give us three reasons if you can follow with me. Number 1, only the gospel can save people. verse 15 says here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're just sort of saying I'm I'm still getting my head around this. This one verse is the verse for you to take away today, verse 15. Because it explains there that there is hope for sinful people. For people who just start to say, do you know what, I am a bit of a mess. I don't even keep my own standards. And before a holy God, I'm in terrible danger. But that hope comes uniquely through Jesus Christ, who with his father made a plan in all eternity. He saw us taking ourselves to hell, and he said, I will not let them go there. So he came into the world, can you see it there, to save sinners. And he did that, friends, by going to die on a Roman cross, where he paid for your and my sin, where he died in the sinner's place, so that you and I can be completely forgiven. And so he died in Paul's place, this murderer. And he died in your and my place, as we trust in him. Here, says Paul, is a message to fight for. Here is a message of hope in a world that's dying, a message of the greatest love the world has ever known, a message of eternal life. That's something to trust, Timothy. It's something to hold on to, though the rest of your church goes somewhere else. And every other church in the area stops preaching it. And if Jesus' main focus of his life, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, if, if, if his main focus of his life was this, then, Timothy, it has got to be the main focus of your church. It's got to be the main focus. Only the gospel can save So you see Paul's problem with the false teachers. is not that they're necessarily saying something that's completely wrong. But it's that they're rambling on about these fairly pointless things. The herbal herbal remedy for this or that. When there is this cure for eternal life. I'm sorry if you like herbal remedies, by the way. Um, There is this cure that can take somebody into eternal life and put them right with God. And the church has just been completely distracted by it. You see, a message that can save people must be at the center of a church. So think of a church where there's an elderly lady that's been going for years and years, and she's actually really quite serious. You know, there she is, she's she's listening. And the minister's really nice, but he never does tell her that people are sinners and that there's a holy God who we need to meet one day and that Jesus really is the only way of salvation. He died and that you've got to actually make a decision. And so you you, you go up to her and you ask her what it's all about and she says, oh well, it's all about being good because it's it's good to be good. I've met a lot of old ladies like that. Well, there's the non-Christian who just starts to worry about their life. A lovely chap called Harry just knocked on the side of our door. And there are, there are non-Christians like this and they, they walk into a church and you know, for a little while they join a small group and other things. They want to know something. But everyone just assumes that you know we're all Christians here and nobody takes the time to actually go through the basics with him because I, I guess they don't want to offend him. And the non-Christian walks off after a few months and thinks, well, I'll, I'll try a bit of Buddhism now. None the wiser. There's the person dying in hospital and the multi faith chaplain comes around and they ask, the, the person asks, what happens when I die? And the chaplain says, well, what do you think? These are terribly wasted opportunities. Because only the gospel can save sinners. Now, friends, no doubt in most churches there's enough of the gospel that somebody could be saved. Isn't that wonderful? You know, some of the, you go to St. Michael's or the Roman Catholic Church, the, the readings, there's going to be something in there whereby somebody might be saved. But if the gospel isn't the center, if there are other things that just distract, then they have lost their way very seriously. And we can so easily do that. Only the gospel can save sinners. Second reason the gospel must be the focus of the church's teaching is that only the gospel can turn lives around. So there was Paul, verse 12, and, and and he describes himself there, verse thirteen, as a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. And actually he'd been like that, even though he had the law. That's interesting, isn't it? The law doesn't change a person. But then he came into a knowledge of this message of the gospel, of Jesus' love and mercy. And he says it was it was poured out on me abundantly, and he's converted most extraordinary change happens in his life. And, he, and can you, you can almost imagine him, I think he's sort of pinching himself. In. I can't believe it. God is using me. I was once this, but I was shown mercy. Wow. Verse 16, have a look down. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. It may be there's someone here who's lived away from Jesus for quite a long time and you've actually been in some very dark places. And uh, there we are, there's a few hands going up. Thank you. And um, it may be that you actually feel like a little bit second rate compared to others because you think, well, I've, I've been in those, those places. Actually, God has a special plan for you. Just like Paul, to show off his mercy so that someone else walks through the door and they think, well, if God could have saved him, <laughs> he could save me. And only the gospel can change lives around like this, so that an enemy becomes a friend, and a person who once hated is filled with love, and, and an abusive dad becomes, becomes the most tender person. And a selfish teenager who just, you know, just couldn't care less about anyone else starts to suddenly turn up in church and actually be really interested in all our stories. And a person who lived for drugs or sex or money starts to live for the living God. Now, for Paul, that happened overnight, didn't it? And for many of us, it's a slow process. But what is the thing that actually has changed your life? It's the gospel. It's taught week by week. And talking about myths and genealogies and and niche side issues that you just kind of, you know, Christians just fall out over these niche side things, never once did turn a life around like that. Just a third little reason why the gospel must be the focus of a church's teaching is that only the gospel brings glory to God. So that verse 17, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And you find yourself almost echoing it, don't you? Because there's, there's an instinct within us to bring glory to God if we're Christian people. And only the true gospel actually leads the church to do that, to see his majesty and so willingly take the crown off our heads and lay it before him and to admire his greatness and otherness, to, to treasure him as the only God and to want his praise forever and ever. And so I think Paul would ask the false teachers of his day whether their teaching was leading to a church full of people praising God. That's why the, the gospel must be the heart of something Community Church into the future, it must be. So people are saved, so lives are transformed and so that God has brought the glory That's something to unite around, isn't it? It's even something to be a little nasty about just occasionally if if there's a danger. (laughs) So I've got to keep the gospel the center. So much at stake. (laughs) I want to just screw this home with two applications for you guys. I don't know you that well, so you need to think about it a little bit more yourselves. Um, Two applications. The first is this. Do fight for the gospel. It's the obvious thing, isn't it? Do this is what it means for Timothy in his situation. In verse eighteen, it says this: "It says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience." And it would be great to pray that for Ian, for Julia, for the rest of the leadership here. Um, here are some words which are a bit like the prophecy I think spoken to Timothy uh, these, these are some words often used at the ordination the kind of did you have an ordination, the induction the the start of somebody's ministry Okay, and this is this is this is what is said um, quote will you lead Christ's people in proclaiming his glorious gospel so that the good news of salvation may be heard in every place in the name of our Lord we bid you remember the greatness of this trust Christ's own flock bought by the shedding of his blood I'd love you to pray that for me because we live in changing times and times where most ministers up and down the country are not doing this and it's hard so much pressure look Ian at the church over there it's growing really big because they, they focus just on music and they don't really open the word. Or because, because they never teach the hard things because we don't want to put people off. Look Ian. You know in 2 Timothy, um, Paul says that yes, there are other churches that are growing. <laughs> Timothy's church was actually shrinking at that time. And uh, do you know what Paul says about them? The false teaching spreads like gangrene. Oh, it's growing. It's dead growth. It takes a lot of courage to fight for the gospel. And, and so Paul uses army language here. Fight the good, fight. I think that'll involve teaching negatives as well as positives in church. Saying if this is true, then guys, think about it logic. That means this isn't true. It'll mean being committed to truth over ecumenicalism. Do you know what I mean by that? Ecumenicalism is this idea that we just need, as Christi- uh, anyone who, who, who owns the name Christian, we should all just be together. <laughs> okay, and some, for some of us, we feel a great urge to, to do that. And it seems so right, doesn't it? I, I, I get that. It seems so right. But actually, we're only really together with people who really believe the same gospel as us. So we wanna be as generous-hearted as we can. This is what I always say to the tab. We wanna be as generous-hearted. If somebody, if a church is, 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 is having a good go at teaching the Bible, we're not gonna be picky, <laughs> okay? But we're not just gonna go, well, it doesn't really matter. There was a, let me give you an example. Um, back at, in Harpenden, where I, where I was a minister, there was an ecumenical group called Churches Together, but part of that was a group called the Quakers who don't believe in Jesus at all, okay? That's nuts. We're not together if <laughs> we don't believe in Jesus, do we? So you've got to draw the line somewhere. And I'm, I'm just saying that, that concern to just be ecumenical, that, that's eroded the church. Um, it makes you look like the baddies <laughs> sometimes. But Timothy's told you you've got to fight, it might mean, but you remember the goal of this is love. <laughs> okay, so it is not unloving to hold on to the truth, even if a lot of people are going, well, you're not a very, this church. Can really—it It is the hardest thing to explain. To believe in this truth. It's, it is the hardest thing to explain. I think that doctor's surgery illustration might help a bit, mightn't <laughs> it? to say, look, we've got, we've got this message that the whole world needs to hear. And I, I can't work together with someone who's selling poison or who, who's distracting. And another illustration I sometimes use, you've got the football out there. And imagine um, a, a, a rugby team said, well, let's, let's, let's do some training together. That doesn't work, because you've got a completely different set of muscles and skills to work on. And so you say, well, I'm really glad you're doing, you're doing rugby, but we're, d- we're focused on football here. Okay, And that's how I tend to see it as a, as a church, that we're going to work together with anyone who wants to do the same thing as us, but our business is that we've got a dying world and we want to get the message of the gospel out there. That's our business. And if another church says, yeah, I want to get behind that, great. Let's work together. Um, but let's not get distracted. I think um, just another little application here might be that we just need to learn to think a little bit harder, <laughs> Okay, I think Ian said to me when I was um, I, when I said what shall I speak on. He said we want to start to lay some firm foundations in the scriptures. I'm trying. This is not working very well, but at the time I'm trying to get people to to bring a Bible, oh, amen. so they can <laughs> so they can see. Okay, because um, because I'm not the Pope, I'm not infallible. Okay, so I want I want my church to go hold on Ian, or hold on Barney, what about verse 16, how does that fit in? Um, that's your responsibility, okay, that a church that that stays faithful is one that is rooted in the scriptures, like the kids, learning the verses, and and holds the preacher accountable. So we used to, I set up this group called um, Grill the Preachers, and um, we used to run an evening service, and uh, once a month, uh uh, there, was a, there was a half an hour where you could grill the preacher on the preaching that month. And so you'd be putting questions in and you'd be thinking together. That's a very healthy thing. It does mean that we need to be less fluffy. <laughs> we, live in a, we live in an age where, where, where when someone shares something, everyone feels like they have to affirm it, Right? So, 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 so you're in a Bible study and someone shares something and they go, "I think verse twelve means this," and you're looking and you go,
0: "That's not there,"
1: <laughs> but everyone goes, "Oh, thank you, thank you," and we all affirm each other, don't we? Well, we're never going to get any smarter if we do that. We love each other, <laughs> but gently, the leader might just occasionally say, "Do you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's there actually. Should we have a look more carefully?" And you and you're learning, and you're, and, you're, and you're learning together to be discerning as a church. Can I say this, this is going to mean, if you want to fight for the gospel, it's going to mean you need to be careful what online things you listen to, and I'd like you to think about running those past Ian. Okay, he's not the thought police, but there's a lot of rubbish out there, and it's hard if you're, if, you know, if you're, if you're listening to something, you go, is that Right? It means we need to be careful on a church we choose in the future. And can I say, if you're moving away from the area, you might think, I'm a mature Christian, so I can be part of turning another church around. I've seen a number of people try and do that. But as they're sitting week by week by week, with very little Bible input, actually, they just grow cold. (laughs) And uh, that final verse there, that's helpful, isn't it? Some have rejected these things. They were people in Timothy's church and they've rejected these things and they've shipwrecked their faith. And if we think that can't happen to us, friends, it could. Do fight for the gospel. Second application, don't fight over anything else. (laughs) Please don't fight over Ian's funny shirts or (laughs) his sense of humor. Um... Uh, it's very easy, and um, it's very, very easy to, f- to, to fall out over all sorts of things that don't matter. Now, look, a church has to take a policy on some things. You know, how do we do a baptism? Do we use lots of water, or, or do we sprinkle? Um, they have to take a position on, on, I don't know, the spiritual gifts or the type of music that we sing and things like that. Of course, the leadership needs to just make some decisions on these things, but they don't matter hugely. They're not central issues that we're going to leave a church over, Okay leave the church the minute Ian stops preaching the gospel (laughs) but let's not fall out with one another we've got a big job to do (laughs) I think if you wanted to pray for me I'm probably coming out of the honeymoon period at my church you know what I mean by that Um, you get maybe a couple of years maybe where you know and then I think a few people go oh what about this and oh that's changed and the Christmas tree wasn't well decorated or something like that. um, And people get really upset. I'm going to pray. Verse 17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And loving Father, I've shared these things from your word because of your glory. And it's your glory in the church now but into the next 10 and 20 and 30 years that we're praying. And we ask very much that what is taught here from the front in our churches would be faithful, would bring you glory, would be courageous in a changing culture, would bring salvation. And Lord, for transformation in our lives too. We thank you for what happened to Paul and how you changed him. And and Lord, you need to change us. Make this church discerning, I pray. Help us not to be judgmental and nasty in the way that we apply this teaching. But help us not to just water down your word because it's easier. And I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
0: Let's say the grace together, shall we? (coughs) May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore. Amen.